For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is 680 The Fans Full Throttle with Brandon Joseph. There's nothing I can't do with the race car. Featuring in-depth coverage of NASCAR, IndyCar, and racing from all around the world. As well as interviews with racing personalities, past, present, and future. It's 680 The Fans Full Throttle, and it starts now. It does start now, the first edition of 6A The Fans Full Throttle. Thank you guys for joining us. We can be found wherever you found us every week here on out. Full Throttle is back talking not just NASCAR, but all forms of racing. If it has motor and wheels, heck, we can even talk foot racing if you need us to. If you have a marathon, maybe. We can do that also. This is Full Throttle. I am Brandon Joseph, joined by the one, the only, Chris Colwell on the other side who handles everything. So if you don't like it, blame him. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on this adventure. And we're going to have some fun doing this. Yeah, we really are. And uh, thanks for actually inviting me onto this ride. This is a great opportunity to talk a little bit of racing, which has been a while, so it's going to be a fun time for us here. For those in Atlanta, locally, 6A The Fan, 6AThefan.com, you know what Full Throttle is. This is a reincarnation of that, only we plan to do it bigger. We're going to catch up with names that you may have not you may have forgotten over the time in terms of racing. This week, we'll be joined by Jerry Nadeau, former driver of the number 25, MichaelHolligan.com, Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports, the UAW Delphi car for Hendrick Motorsports, and of course, everybody remembers Jerry Nadeau being in that 01 Army car in 2003 when he had that unfortunate accident, and Jerry talks about it all from beginning to end of his career and his day-to-day life and the struggles that he goes through right now, trying to just get back to life as normal, even though he's 13 years removed from that unfortunate accident. But here's what Full Throttle is not going to be. We're not going to do all those crazy like racing cliches and all the puns. The green flag is not out in the first edition of Full Throttle. Those yeah, things you won't hear. Yeah, exactly. We won't talk about that. We also won't say that we're moving around like the fastest show in all of radio. We won't use ones like that. When we go to break, we won't say the caution flag is out. We'll be back. Uh, things like that you won't hear. We don't hear that we're dropping the checkered flag on an additional full throttle. But what we will do, though, when we say we're going to segue, we are going to say we're going to gear shift into the next segment. No? Don't work? No, I don't think, I don't think we're we going to do that? that. I don't think No? Okay, we'll, sorry. We'll put I'm, that I'm in the maybe pile. We won't, we won't also random drop in like sound effects like tire squealing. <laughs> Although I do want one of those crappy DJ horns. Yeah, that's kind of the one that I want. If we can get that at any moment, just because that's, that's cool. Why not? 
But a big offseason for NASCAR as we head into Daytona week. And, of course, Daytona, the 58th running of the Daytona 500 this upcoming Sunday, February 21st. And Denny Hamlin won the Sprint Unlimited last Saturday. That makes JGR's four out of the last five they have won, including Denny Hamlin, two of the last three. And what does that mean? Absolutely nothing. Chase Elliott's on the pole, youngest ever pole winner for the Daytona 500. What does that mean? Absolutely nothing. What can you gather from all these NASCAR practices, the Sprint Unlimited, the dual races coming up on Thursday? Absolutely nothing. Daytona's its own beast. Trevor Bain, who won, where did he come from? He wasn't fast at all. Right place, right time. You survived the big one, you have a shot to win. And not necessarily, you can't, there's no science to figuring out where to avoid the big one. If you take a look at the Unlimited, who was it? It was Denny Hamlin and Ricky Stenhouse running about a second away from the pack. Ricky Stenhouse cuts a tire, gets into Denny Hamlin. That strategy didn't work. You see guys running at the front all the time. Somebody doesn't give somebody else enough room. Carl Edwards forces his way in, gets bumped by Keselowski, and you have an accident. There's no science to this. But by all accounts, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is the quote-unquote favorite. I wouldn't put money on that any way, shape, or form. Just watch and hope. (laughs) Anything can happen in Daytona. But sneaky, sneaky fast. Sneaky fast. Look out for Martin Truex Jr. Even though he wasn't able to qualify, now that they're with Toyota, look out for Martin Truex Jr. I think he's going he's gonna to make some noise at Daytona. But a lot of news in the offseason, even before we get cars fully qualified, and that played into to things even going back to Saturday afternoon before the Sprint Unlimited with Ryan Blaney and the Wood Brothers and the charter system, which I have an interesting viewpoint on that apparently is not a popular one, and I don't see how it's not. Probably going to ruffle some feathers talking about the Wood Brothers. Tony Stewart, his final ride here in 2016. Well, final ride when he gets back in the car in May because he broke his back racing on dunes, dune racing with Greg Biffle. Tony Stewart's probably the most snake-bitten driver, but not in the way that you feel bad for him. He breaks his leg flipping a sprint car, breaks his back on sand dunes. Of all things to break your back doing, sand dunes? Tony Stewart's a weird cat. The only man to win an IndyCar championship and a NASCAR championship, but nobody ever thinks of Tony Stewart as one of the greatest. He's not in the lexicon of Foyt, Andretti, Earnhardt, Gordon. He's floats around. A lot of people have Jimmy Johnson as a better driver than Tony Stewart. And say what you want about Jimmy Johnson's six championships. Winning a NASCAR championship nowadays doesn't mean you are the best driver per se. Take a look at Kyle Busch last year. He raced half the season. Won a championship. But Jimmy Johnson has six of those. Tony Stewart has four championships across two major disciplines, three Sprint Cup championships, and one IndyCar championship. And he probably could have went to F1 and won a title. He's a pure racer, but he will never get the respect and never be in the upper echelon of race car drivers. One, because he's a very polarizing figure. Not very liked by a lot of people. I don't have a problem with Tony Stewart. 
I think his personality is awesome, but not very liked by most media figures. And that's why he will never get that type of respect. You had the accident with Kevin Ward Jr. that resulted in the loss of his life that some people still have mixed results on. And they hold that against Tony. They hold stuff against Tony on his interactions with the media. He wasn't exactly the most media-friendly, media-savvy person. And fans, they booed Jeff Gordon because he wasn't Dale Hart Jr. You booed Matt Kenseth until he wrecked Joey Logano. Now Matt Kenseth is a fan favorite. But Tony Stewart has a very interesting path. And he's a Hall of Fame driver. He will be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. He will be in the International Motorsports Hall of Fame. And he should be. But when you think of Tony Stewart, you really don't think he's up there with the Forts, the Andretti's, the Earnhardt, even the Gordons. And even Jimmy Johnson. And it's kind of unfortunate. Because if you take a look at a man who could drive a car, Tony's one of the best of all time. Juan Pablo Montoya couldn't do what Tony Stewart did. Dario Franchitti. Just think of all the names that have hopped over from IndyCar. Sam Hornish Jr. Couldn't make it. Well, Tony Stewart hopped into Joe Gibbs Racing. He hopped into Joe Gibbs Racing before Joe Gibbs Racing was a powerhouse. They had Bobby Labonte, and that's it. Bobby Labonte won one championship. Dale Jarrett left Joe Gibbs Racing because he didn't think they had it. Remember that. It was very touch and go for JGR for a long time because this was fun to Joe Gibbs. It was fun to his family. But Joe Gibbs doesn't stick around and lose for an extended period of time. Take a look at his NFL career. He'll get out as soon as he knows it's bad. And it was touch and go for a while. When Tony ran that 20 car in what was then the Bush series, we didn't know what was going to happen with Tony Stewart or Joe Gibbs racing. And then Tony Stewart came up to the Cup Series and revolutionized what a rookie standard is by winning races as a rookie. Before then, that was not the norm. That was an anomaly. Now you expect rookie drivers in rides to be in contention. And that's Tony Stewart. But he'll hop back in the car whenever he gets back in. People are saying the all-star race. People just don't know. But Tony has maintained he's done. Whether he runs 5, 10, 20 races this year, he's not going to be back. And it's interesting to see, since he will retire as a full-time driver without winning a Daytona 500, If he comes back in a one-off to try to get Daytona, probably one of the best Daytona Xfinity Nationwide Bush Grand National drivers, couldn't get it done in the Cup Series. That would have been an interesting storyline this year. It's interesting to see if he comes back and does that. He'll do more dirt track racing. He may hop back in an IndyCar. Given the current state of IndyCar, I'm sure they would find money for Tony Stewart to run an IndyCar. But it's interesting to see if he's actually done in NASCAR. Like Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon was a candidate to replace Tony Stewart in the 14, but Jeff said, I'm done. Now, I firmly believe we'll see Jeff racing the 24-hour race. He's not done racing, but Jeff Gordon was never the type to go dirt track racing, do anything like that. Can you imagine Jeff Gordon covered in dirt? That's something you will never see. Even though he came up in the quarter midgets, And that type of racing? Look at Jeff Gordon now. And do you think for one second Jeff Gordon is leaning over a dirt modified, changing out a roll bar? Uh Uh-uh. 
Mr. Armani Tux is not doing that. He's gone. Awesome chase from that place. Listen, we need a we need a catchphrase for Chase Elliott. His dad had one. Awesome Bill from Dawsonville. Awesome chase from that place. I I don't know. I think that's the best you're gonna get. Chase is not an easy word to rhyme. That's it's the really problem. not. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> you made it really tough. The 20 year old kid steps into the 24 car. I changed the number. Hendrick Motorsports has the 25. You never want to be the guy who replaces the guy. Give credit to Richard Childress Racing around the tragedy that was Dale Earnhardt passing. What's the first thing they did? I'm not putting Kevin Harvick in that number three. Change the number. You never want to be the guy to replace the guy. So Chase Elliott will hop into the 24. They changed the the color of the number. That's about all they did. What was that ugly fluorescent yellow is now white. The kid's fast. Kid has talent. Nothing will ever be good enough. He's going to have to get three championships, and he still won't be as good as Jeff Gordon. And Hendrick Motorsports is in an interesting spot this year. Casey Kane's in his last year, the contract in the five car. And what a disappointment that has been. That five car as a whole has been a disappointment since Terry Labonte. Yeah, since about Terry Labonte. Kyle Busch was in it for a while. And that's when Kyle Busch couldn't... Kyle Busch was essentially Days of Thunder. He was Tom Cruise in Days of Thunder. He would go out there and hit the pace car. He had no touch, for lack of a better word. He had no feel. He'd hit everything. He didn't know where it was going. He just mashed the gas and turned left. And that was a problem. He kept turning left on road courses, too. Sometimes you got to turn right. He finally was able to pick that one up. But that's going to be a storyline throughout the year. Chase Elliott filling in for Jeff Gordon. Jimmy Johnson is now the leader at Hendrick Motorsports. We'll see what he's able to do. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is at the point where who knows how long Dale Earnhardt Jr. has left. You forget about Dale Earnhardt Jr. He's in his 40s. He's 42. Granted, he still looks like he's 23. Probably still acts like he's 23. But he's in his 40s. His best days, far behind him. So Jimmy Johnson is the guy at Hendrick Motorsports. And there's always been this thing about Daryl Leonard Jr. that he's going to move Junior Motorsports up to the Cup Series at some point and get it started by running the 88 under Junior Motorsports just to get that going. So that can change at any point. Hendrick Motorsports at an interesting crossroad. But the charter system did dominate the offseason. And the talk around that is the 36 teams, if you don't know what the charter system is by now, you've been living under a racing rock. So welcome back to the mainland. 36 cars will be guaranteed spots into the races. The other four spots are for open teams. 40 cars now will make a race instead of 43 every week. The charter system helps the race teams under the Race Team Alliance, founded by former Michael Waltrip Racing co-owner. Now he's with Chip Ganassi Racing with Felix Sabatis and friends with Rob Kaufman. Rob Kaufman. 
I don't know how many owners Chip Ganassi has under his under his stable. I don't know how he keeps on selling off part of his team but keeping his name on the team. He's got to own about 3% of that team at this point. But Rob Kaufman took his money away from Michael Waltrip Racing, which was struggling to pay bills, and went to Chip Ganassi Racing, and they have this race team alliance, a group of team owners that just got together and went out to go look out for their interests and went to NASCAR. And NASCAR has been very receptive to trying to help the teams build equity. Because right now, either you are Hendrick Motorsports and you're worth a couple hundred million dollars, or you're racing that if you run out of money, what do you got? Nothing. It's an all-risk, very little reward transaction. But the big thing around it is that amongst the 36 teams that are guaranteed a spot, guaranteed a charter, which they're allowed to trade and sell, it's free market on the charter. The Wood Brothers did not get a charter. The Wood Brothers are back racing their first full year in five years with Ryan Blaney. Now that they're backed by Penske. And people are up in arms at the fact that the Wood Brothers don't have a charter. It's not that big of a deal, people. The mark to, to how they distributed the charters was you had to attempt to run every race for the last three years. Over the last three years, somebody guess how many races the Wood Brothers have run. Chris Caldwell, producer extraordinaire. How many races have the Wood Brothers run in the last 30 years? 36 races every year for three years. How many of those has has the Wood Brothers entered? I'm going to say about eight. A little bit more than eight. They average about eight per year. They've only run 40 races. Just over one full season in three years. And they're only back full-time racing is because Glenn and Leonard Wood don't really have day-to-day vested interest in the Wood Brothers operation. It's run by John Wood, former NASCAR driver John Wood. You may not remember NASCAR driver John Wood because he only raced in two Cup Series races. Missed three of them. Won two truck series races. Ran a bunch of what is now the Xfinity Series races. He spent a lot of time on like that last page of the scoring placard on the TV with negative numbers next to his name because he was always lapped down a few. Or 50. But he runs the Wood Brothers now, and it was his idea because they have the backing of Penske. Before that, for the last four years outside of last year, so from 2010 to 2014, they were part of an alliance with Roush Racing. Jack Roush did not help them go full-time, and there was no desire from the Wood Brothers to go full-time. So what makes you think they're deserving of this charter? I get that they've been around for 62 years, I get that they were spending money in NASCAR when, frankly, the France family and no team knew if NASCAR was going to catch on and be a thing. I get that. But you are so quick to use this argument for drivers. What have you done for me lately? 
You see that used every every year when it comes to silly season. Well, what has what have they done lately? When's the last time they found victory lane? When's the last time they've been running in the top five, the top ten, made a chase? So let me ask you this. What did the Wood Brothers do lately? One, a fluky, as I mentioned, Daytona 500 with Trevor Bain. Where were the Wood Brothers in Atlanta, in Las Vegas every year? Phoenix, Watkins Glen, Sonoma, Texas. They picked and choose where they want to show up and race. They didn't have full-time employees going out, pounding the pavement, trying to get sponsorship. They ran as many races as Ford would pay for them to run under the Motocraft sponsorship. Meanwhile, you have Jack Roush funding Greg Biffle, Ricky Stenhouse, Trevor Bain, and a slew of Xfinity guys out of his own pocket. You have these guys struggling week to week in the truck series. Show up every week. I would argue that the fifth place truck team was more deserving of a NASCAR Sprint Cup charter than the Wood Brothers. You don't get to pick and choose when your legacy comes into play. And that's what the Wood Brothers and the fans are essentially choosing. I'm going to pick. Now I choose to invoke legacy clause. Wood Brothers deserve a charter. And the Wood Brothers were so steaming mad they didn't get a charter, they left the race team alliance. As I mentioned before, these charters are able to be bought, sold, and traded. Rob Kaufman took the two charters for Michael Waltrip Racing, which that was the initial argument of Wood Brothers fans. Well, Rob Kaufman has two charters for a team that doesn't exist. Well, yeah, because he paid out of pocket for those two race teams from 2013 on. When the Wood Brothers was not spending money in NASCAR, Rob Kaufman was. So he deserved those two charters. And what did he do with them? Sold them to the two highest bidder. Stuart Haas and Joe Gibbs Racing. Free market capitalism at its finest. And that's what Rob Kaufman did. So the Wood Brothers had many different avenues to go and be a full-time chartered member. The, the easiest path was just showing up and running the races over the last three years. Something they opted not to. And there were plenty of other teams that ran select races over the past three years that that haven't made a stunk, haven't made a stink about, hey, we don't have a charter. I saw online some some person felt the need to criticize Tommy Baldwin. Why does Tommy Baldwin have a charter and the Wood Brothers don't? Because Tommy Baldwin was funding a race team out of his own pocket. Only thing the Wood Brothers had to do was start in park for the last three years and they would have got a charter. The other way was go pay for one. Gene Haas did. Joe Gibbs did. Where were the Wood Brothers? Where was Penske paying for the Wood Brothers? The Wood Brothers will have to earn a charter now 
whatever way they can. You saw the 46H Scott team have to lease a charter for $1.5 million this year. For one year, just to guarantee Michael Annette to race every week. If you believe Ryan Blaney is talented, he can go out and be one of those four open teams every week. And don't get me started on people whining and complaining about the, the car size, the field size from 43 to 40. Guess what? Those, those last three cars... Remember when Joe Nemechek showed up without a pit crew? That's what those last three cars were. So if Ryan Blaney can't make a field of 40 with the backing of Ford, the backing of Penske, what have you done for me lately then? Now for the 500, Ryan Blaney was a top 12 car. He's locked into the show. Quit your complaining and go out there and race. Give NASCAR a reason to take a charter away from a team like Tommy Baldwin Racing, from a team like Premium Motorsports, and give it to the Wood Brothers. I'm sure if Ryan Blaney finishes top 20 in points, you can start the conversation. I'm sure if Ryan Blaney makes the chase, they'll have the conversation. Until that happens, what has the Wood Brothers done for me lately? I rest my case. Enough ranting and raving about the Wood Brothers. We're supposed to have fun, and we're going to have fun with something that I'm pretty sure will fail miserably. We'll try it next. It's the irrelevant news of the week. Chris Colwell is going to feed me irrelevant stories that I have no clue what they are beforehand, and you're going to get raw, unfiltered reaction to it. That's coming up next. This is Full Throttle. Now, more of 6A The Fans Full Throttle with Brandon Joseph. 6 of the fans, full throttle. Brendan Joseph alongside producer extraordinaire Chris Colwell. You can check us out on Twitter. I'm at BJosephRadio. The letter B, Joseph, J-O-S-C-P-H. And the common spelling for the word radio. We're going to talk to Jerry Nadeau coming up in just a little bit. But first, we've scoured the bottom of the racing web. Like, we emptied out the bucket and like the muck at the bottom of the bucket. We went under that for these... These are irrelevant nuggets. And Chris Caldwell, you've done some digging to find some of the the most irrelevant stories that pertain to racing. And I don't know these. I just get little teases. So, only thing I know heading into this, celebs in Daytona, drivers Valentine's Day, and a story about Ryan Blaney and Bubba Wallace. These are irrelevant nuggets. So, Chris Caldwell, feed them to me and you'll get my unfiltered reaction we've scoured the globe in search of the most useless information in the racing world feels like we're wasting a lot of time this is the irrelevant news of the week all right well let's start out with you said celebrities you teased it right there that was a good job i gotta give you credit on that first of all gerard butler known for movies worldwide he's been named the grand marshal of the daytona 500 what movie is he hiking uh, well, I think he's got a few movies out. He's got that uh, Gods of Egypt movie that either has come out or is about to come out. And you've also got that London is, uh, London is Falling movie that's coming out that's the sequel to Olympus is Fallen. So my guess is that's what he's there for. Gerard Butler's not American, is he? No, he's not. Do you think he has any clue what NASCAR is? Not a clue. <laughs> or this is just some PR lady telling him he has to be in Daytona, Florida. Well, on based Sunday on the, the fact that he showed up for all you wrestling fans, he was on Monday Night Raw this week, 
And I'm guessing that they're sending him anywhere that there might be some action fans, NASCAR included. So he's probably getting like a culture clash of uh, information. And what is he doing again? He's the Grand Marshal. So he has to say, driver, start your engine. Exactly. Oh, this is going to this is gonna be horrible. Okay. I mean, except that it'll have a really like thick... What is he, Scottish? English? I don't know. This is, Irish? This is not good. If they don't know the product... Like, I would rather them, like, truck out some some random sponsorship guy, you know, or some some kid that's been a NASCAR fan for all eight years of his life. Like, just let them do it. At least they get the product. Don't get some, some celebrity who could care less than just doing it because the movie studio told them and they paid for a private jet to take them to Daytona. So, yeah, I can confirm he's Scottish. So imagine, like, Austin, like, I guess, to use an Austin Powers reference, fat bastard saying, start your engines. Oh, this is going to be bad. Start your engines. That doesn't even sound Scottish, does it? Bad. Maybe That's he knows F1 and maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Jackie Stewart's the only Scottish race car driver. I mean, Dario Franchitti. Top two Scots I can think of. To go along with that, John Cena, WWE wrestler, has been named honorary pace car driver for the Daytona 500. I don't mind as much being the honorary pace car driver because it's not like you really drive. You just kind of sit in the car and Brett Bodine drives the pace car driver. So I'm not really worried about that one. But Gerard Butler should be nowhere near a racetrack. What else you got? All right, moving on. How was your Valentine's Day, by the way? It was awesome. I sat at home and watched romantic comedies. Oh, well, I, you know what? I'm happy you had a good time. And apparently, Danica Patrick and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. had a had an excellent time on their Valentine's Day. You know where they spent it? Some nice restaurant in Daytona, you know, eating lobster by the beach or something like that. Well, they, they were in the uh, general area of Daytona, but... Maybe not quite as nice as you would expect. Okay, we're trying to keep this family friendly. I don't need to know about. Well, no, no, no. We're not. We're the not bus going. Lot. We're not going that direction. No, no, no. They actually traveled to the uh, Volusia Speedway Park to watch the Dirt Car Nationals on a dirt track where they spent Valentine's Day. You're lying. I'm not lying. I am not lying at all. You know who came up with that idea? Of course, it was Ricky. Yeah, it's not Danica. No, not of course. And here, here was her quote. You know, part of being in a relationship is that you see somebody you love and care about doing something that they love so much that they're happy. Going to a dirt track makes him ha- happy. End quote. Can I make the obligatory shot at Ricky Stenhouse? Sure, go ahead. Going to a random dirt track on a Sunday night is probably the only place he's going to win. Nah. And apparently Stenhouse got more than just, you know, involved with just watching. Apparently he actually helped change out an engine. And Danica was quoted as saying he was grabbing wrenches and I knew at that moment he was having the best Valentine's Day ever because he loves working on cars. He knows what he's doing with that stuff. Danica Patrick, a professional liar. There is no way she was happy to be there, one, or happy for him. We've seen Danica Patrick pout and stomp her way down pit road before. I can just picture her pouting and stomping her way all up and down Volusia County Speedway. Maybe. And here's another thing from her as well. If it wasn't so dirty, I'd probably love it a little more. I always have a shower afterwards. Always have to clean my shoes off. I can't wear nice shoes to the track. Such a bummer. End quote. Took the words right out. That's all you need to know about Danica Patrick. <laughs> I don't like a dirt track because it's dirty. 
There's dirt there. OMG, I have to take a shower. What are you talking about, Danica? If you had any like thought that maybe she was on board with it, that last quote. Yeah, I it's just so dirty. Ricky, you you messed up, bro. If it comes down to you and her one and two for the Daytona 500, pull over and let her win. Because that's the only way you're going to get back in her good graces. Because guess what, Ricky? You messed up. Valentine's Day is the one day a year. Well, there's, well, her birthday, probably Christmas, probably Thanksgiving. Probably anytime she really wants something, you have to acquiesce and give the woman what she wants. There are some nice restaurants right on the beach in Daytona. You don't have to go to Volusia to go watch, to go change out an engine. Hey, honey, can you imagine the picture of this? Hey, honey, you know what Sunday is? Oh my god, it's Valentine's Day! I have a surprise for you. OMG, what is it? We're going to Volusia for some dirt tracking, baby. And you know she gave one of those grit the teeth. Okay. I'm excited. Do you remember after the 2015 duels when she cornered Denny Hamlin by his car? Grabbed him and was like, why do you always do this to me? That was Danica to her girlfriends. Why does he always do this to me? Every occasion, I just want a nice candlelit dinner, and he's going to be chanting out an engine at a dirt track. And guess what's at the dirt track? Dirt. And, like, there's two of her girlfriends that have nothing to do with NASCAR. I don't really know what's going on. They're like, oh, you need to dump him. He takes you to dirt? Oh, my God. Now, with that said, I would never say any of this to Danica Patrick's face. I've seen the yoga that she does. She can break people. So if any of this gets back to her, Danica, I love you. And I, I'm only doing this because I support you. You deserve a nice dinner on Daytona Beach. Ricky, brah. See, this is the problem, too. I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this without insulting anybody. Danica's a little bit older than Ricky. Ricky, bruh. You got to play the game a little bit better. Let's just leave it at that. What's your third one? Do you like music, Brandon? I love music. Do you like heavy metal? Not my favorite, but I can get on board with some heavy metal. Not a Rob Zombie guy, not Uh, a Seven Dust, Metallica, Megadeth, Motorhead. Maybe. Maybe some Motorhead. Maybe a little bit of Motorhead, yeah. Ace of Spades type yep. stuff. Well, apparently in the offseason, good buddies Bubba Wallace, Daryl Wallace Jr., and Ryan Blaney decided to channel their uh, either talents or... Lack just thereof. Lack thereof, but maybe just uh, passion for music and uh, actually started a heavy metal band. Bubba Wallace apparently bought a set of drums. He was a drum player when he was younger, so he bought a set of drums, started playing them, and apparently Ryan Blaney has an affinity for screaming out death metal sounds when he's riding around in cars. So he's apparently the lead singer of the band? 
this silence is because I'm hoping you're going psych at some point. Like, this is not real. Well, in case you haven't heard it already, here's what it sounds like. This is absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. This is a problem, see? And I'm gonna address this one by one. You said Bubba Wallace had a drum set as a kid? Apparently. That doesn't mean he was good at it. See, this is the problem. But he has a passion for it. I have a passion for a lot of things. I have a passion for Major League Baseball. Guess what? You gave up on your dream. I'm not going to the pros. See, and this is going to be another... Not with an attitude like that, you're not. This is going to be another bullet point on this. And it's about to come up. But this, let's go back to number one. Just because you had a, an instrument as a kid doesn't necessarily mean you were good at it. Had a trumpet. Doesn't necessarily mean you were good at it. I was great at it. Don't ever account for your family either. They're not going to tell you you're horrible at it. This could be a case where Bubba's mom and dad got the kid what he wanted, a drum set. And he would bang on it for eight hours thinking that he was going to start a rock band. And poor Mama Wallace and Papa Bubba Wallace, well, I guess we know it's <laughs> his name because Daryl Walsh is a we'll junior. Call him senior. How about that? Yeah. Mr. Wallace Sr. didn't have the heart to tell Bubba, son, this ain't you. This is not your thing. The next bullet point is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can go out there and start a rock band, just because you got a little bit of money in the come up, and this applies to both Bubba and Ryan, just because you got a little bit of money in the come up doesn't mean you should. You can start a rock band, doesn't mean you should. Like, at some point, there's, this is a problem, too. This shows that they're surrounded by a bunch of yes-men. At some point, there needed to be some friend. That one friend, you always need to keep that one friend around. That either A, is level-headed, or B, just poo-poos everything. Because that one friend needed to go, Nah, dog, you suck. Nah, dog, this ain't good. Nah, dog, you shouldn't do that. Where was Ryan Blaney's friend? Where was Bubba Wallace's friend? Now, I'm not sure if it was Ryan Blaney or Ryan Truex. And it may have been both of them. They, a couple of young NASCAR drivers decided they wanted to get a house together. They wanted to form basically their own little disgrace land. And he got a bunch of 20-somethings coming up. See, this is the problem with the come-up. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can afford a pretty nice house in a pretty nice neighborhood with you and your, and your friends doesn't mean you should buy that house. See, Trevor Bain and Kyle Larson, their personal choices led them to get married relatively young. But guess what they're not doing? Guess what Trevor Bain and Kyle Larson aren't sitting around on a Thursday afternoon doing. That music. I feel like you're just ruining their dream. 
I thought their dream was to be NASCAR champions. Maybe they want to do both. Name the last NASCAR Sprint Cup champion to also win a Grammy. Don't worry, I'll wait. Name the last NASCAR Sprint Cup champion to even be nominated for a Grammy. Name but, the last NASCAR Sprint Cup champion to even go to the Grammys. I'm sure somebody's going to the Grammys. It's not in your future. And you know, I'm not one to kill another person's dream. But I'm killing their dream. If that's their dream. Have you heard the name of the band? I don't even need to know the name of the band, but tell me. You're going to tell me, so tell me. Yeah, I'm definitely going to tell you. Blubba. Bubba, Blaney, together makes Blubba. Just because you can <laughs> doesn't mean you should. New CD coming to a store near you. I wouldn't play that CD if it was the last CD on Earth. From what I just heard from, what what is it? Blubba? Blubba. That sounds like a disease. Hey guys, I'm going to miss work today. Why? I came out with a case of Blubba. Sounds like something you need to drink Pepto-Bismol for. The Blubba Guts. When Bubble Guts just won't do, you have Blubba. I think this is a ploy by them. Easiest way to win a championship. Plump, pump that. Pump some Blubba into the other car's radios, and they will have no choice but to pull off the track and take off their helmet and scream to the highest mountain of what is this. So since Ryan Blaney and Bubba Wallace Jr. apparently don't have that friend to tell them that they that this is a bad idea, I will be that friend. Brandon Joseph is your friend. Bubba, Ryan, Blubba, this is a bad idea. Ryan Blaney, you can't sing. Bubba I wouldn't just, really call that singing anyway. It's called screaming. Bubba, just put the drumsticks down. Like, just... The time that you spend hanging out with your friends, performing as Blubba, that time could be spent on an iRacing simulator. Just turn a couple of extra virtual laps. Get in touch with, with, with the car. Maybe this is an outlet for him, though. Maybe it's just to get away, you know? Go Sometimes play darts. you're too close. Go play darts. That's an outlet. That's dangerous. Play Call of Duty. I don't know. That's violent. Read a book. Anything but blubber. But hey, teach their own. They got the means. They got, <laughs> they got the time. But once again, I will leave it on this. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Jerry Nadeau coming up. A great conversation we look forward to having with him. This is Full Throttle 6A The Fan. You're locked into 6A The Fans, Full Throttle with Brandon Joseph. 6A The Fans, Full Throttle, Brandon Joseph here. And we're going to catch up with some names from the past. And this week, we have a great one. One of my favorite drivers growing up, a Northeastern guy, which always made him near and dear to my heart from Danbury, Connecticut. Jerry Nadeau joins us. Jerry, how are you today? Doing well. How are you? I'm great. And... You know, when people think of the Northeast, they don't really think of it as being a hotbed of racing. But, you know, you've come out of uh, Connecticut, the Bodines from upstate New York, uh, Tommy Baldwin and his family. And you come from a little bit of a racing background. Your dad was a race car driver also. Yeah, yeah, obviously. We lived in uh, 
you know, Danbury, Connecticut, and they had a, a racetrack about a, a quarter mile from where we used to live, uh, the Danbury Race Arena. And my dad used to race there since 1975 till the, the day it closed down. I think it was in 82. So, yeah, racing has been in my blood pretty much ever since the beginning. And you know, my dad used to work on his cars, and I used to be, you know, two, three, four years old, messing around downstairs in the basement. And then he got me started into go-karts when I was about four and a half. So, yeah, racing has been in my heart uh, for, for a while now. And you, you talked about go-karting. You came up as a go-kart guy, and it almost seemed as you were like an o- going the open-wheel route. You went um, Barbara Dodge Series. You were the World Karting Association mm-hmm. National Champion. Talk about that progression as open wheels and sports cars. How'd you get even get into NASCAR? <laughs> I wish I knew. Um, you know, my my career is kind of a roller coaster. Um, you know, I always I had to go where I was getting help from. And you know, we started out racing oval tracks, running modifieds on the up in the East Coast, up at Waterford Speed Bowl, Stafford Thompson. And um, you know, the really wasn't a whole bunch of money into that. And we were spending every dime that we had. And uh, finally, um, you know, I got introduced by a guy uh, up in Woodbury, Connecticut, uh, Frank Martinelli, uh, who owns a heating and air conditioning company. And he got me involved in road racing. Actually, he got he paid for my first school down at Sebring. And then I did some Northeast uh, Formula Ford series and did real well. And then I got invited to go down to a $100,000 scholarship down in Sebring, Florida, which I won, and I got a free season in the Skip Barber, what they called it, the Barber Dodge Pro Series back then. I think it was in 91. And that was like kind of my my ranks. But when I won, when I finished second, I think, at Sebring, I mentioned over the intercom, you know, my ultimate goal is obviously to go NASCAR, Mm-hmm. Just because that's where I was from, you know, oval track racing. My dad loved it, and um, you know, I was a big, obviously Dale Earnhardt fan. I don't think anybody was, but or, or you know, wouldn't be. Um, but and then I I mentioned that over the intercom, and then I met a guy by the name of, of Tom Cotter, who owned an agency down here in North Carolina. He invited me down, so I basically drove from Connecticut in a beat up Oldsmobile diesel, smoked all the way down from Connecticut. <laughs> And met him for lunch, and he thought that was he thought that was pretty impressive. So he he basically said, "Well, come on down here, and I'll get you a job. We'll do some show cars. You can drive around and meet some people." And um, so I did that. I had two hundred dollars in my pocket, and he wrote a letter to all the Cup guys at Cup teams, and one team answered, and it was Richard Jackson Motorsports. And uh, I went to work for him. I was sponsored for Morgan Shepard. And after time, it was like, am I going to get a chance? And so I talked to Richard, and he said, well, listen, if you can come up with about $15,000, we'll do the ARCA race at Charlotte in three weeks. So I basically called everybody but my mom and dad, raised the money, gave them a check, did the ARCA race, finished second, my first ARCA race, and then Richard or uh, Morgan Shepard went to another team, so Richard didn't have a driver for Michigan. Mm-hmm. So he asked me, he's like, hey, you want to run the cup race next week? So I was like, you know, who wouldn't say no? You know, I mean, I had to uh, had to go for it, so I did it. And that's how my career started. Former NASCAR Sprint Cup driver Jerry Nadeau. So you were spotting for Morgan Shepard. And 
More recently, people remember Morgan Shepard rollerblading down pit road at 74. <laughs> what was he like back in the early 90s? He's a, he's a good guy. I like Morgan. Um, good family, good person. And, yeah, it's amazing. He's still ticking. I, I don't know. I think he's in the 70s, I would say. But he was good, he was a good guy. And I was kind of like, I couldn't believe he left the team and Richard didn't have a driver. And the, he, the first person he thought of was, you know, here's a guy that was sweeping the floors. I was spotting for Morgan Shepard. And I was also doing some road racing on the side, but nothing really big. And, and he just said, hey, you know, he, wanna, he took a shot and gave me a shot at uh, Michigan. And literally my first practice session in the cup car at Michigan, I was second fastest behind Jeff Gordon. I mean, <laughs> that was like unheard of. It was like, no way. So, yeah, I did it. I It was funny. Well, it wasn't that funny, but... In qualifying, you know, Jeff came up to me and he was like, "Hey, dude, you're doing great. You don't need to impress anybody. You've, you've done, you've done what you had to do with, you know, with this car, and, and you don't need to impress anybody." So I just kind of took it, but I didn't. I kind of rubbed it off when I was on the track in qualifying, and I came off turn two, and I lost it, hit the wall hard, you know, ball of fire, mm-hmm. came in got out of the medical center, and Richard Jackson put his armor on me. He said, boy, I just want to tell you something. Out of all the cars I timed from the start-finish line to turn two, you were the fastest by two tenths, but you were backwards. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my initiation to NASCAR. Now, you were fast on pavement, but... I I read a blurb, and I don't know if this is true, and if so, it had to be one of the coolest things in the world. You raced on ice in Russia? Yeah, it was, uh, there were like two-stroke motors, I think, on little go-karts, and they had like knobby spike tires, and they had a quarter-mile flat oval, and the heat races, you would have four cars, and you do your best, and it, it just, it was it was amazing. We had, I think, uh, four Americans go out there, and we did well. I mean, we, we, I think I won a heat race, I think that was my only episode with the biggest thing I had is I picked up some sort of bug when I got to Russia and was sick for nine days straight until wow. I got home. I mean, I was just, uh, it wasn't a good time, but I, you know, looking back at it, it was pretty cool. It had to help you be able to drive a loose race car. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I love dirt racing. I mean, I, I grew up racing dirt go-karts and asphalt road courses, and I kind of got back in the dirt when I was running Modifieds up at Waterford Speed Bowl in Thompson, and I had a friend that owned a dirt car. And so and some weeks I would run at Lebanon and Orange County Third Speedway running dirt sportsman cars, and then other weeks I would run, uh, you know, the modified car at Waterford and, and Stafford at times. So yeah, I did whatever I could do. I mean, I, we didn't have a whole lot of money growing up, barely anything, and, you know, I, I did what I had to do and, and busted my butt and, got down here, met some people, and I got an opportunity, and it obviously got shattered uh, back in 2003 mm-hmm. with my accident. Yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later, but talking to former NASCAR Sprint Cup driver Jerry Nadeau, what I remember of Jerry Nadeau was that number 13 first plus financial car when you are were Bill Elliott's teammate in a car co-owned by Dan Marino, and I remember that, that Sonoma race, you were outside pole to Jeff Gordon, 
in that one, and it was just a different time of NASCAR because you could start seeing the changes in the what now is the super teams, and it was a tough go trying to race with Bill, who was funding now two cars relatively out of his own pocket. Yeah, it was definitely a tough situation. I I, I love Bill, uh, the whole Elliott family. It was just a it was it wasn't awkward because you know I, I got an opportunity. I mean. I was a huge, huge NFL fan with uh, Marino, you know, Miami Dolphins, and I was a big Marino fan. And when they asked me if I would drive and move down here in Dawsonville, so I, again, I packed up. Uh, I think it was in '98 and moved down there, and I uh, got an opportunity to run the Cup car. And yeah, the, the Sonoma deal was full. Cool. It was like I was I qualified outside pole to Jeff Gordon, and I just said I'm I'm going to beat him in turn one, but obviously. <laughs> I, I pushed a little bit too far, went off the track, still came out of there fourth, but we broke uh, a hymen mm-hmm. in the right front, so it wouldn't turn right-hand turns, and I was struggling, and then there was a right-hand turn, and I, I went straight off the track into uh, a bank and uh, you know knocked myself out a little bit, but it was a, it was, it was a tough deal, it was fun, I enjoyed it, and... Uh, you know, I wish I wish it didn't happen. What happened in two thousand three? Yeah. Um, moving on to that, you right before that you got a ride at Hendrick. You you went to Melling, then your first stint with MB two, and then it finally felt like you found a place at Hendrick Motorsport when you took over the twenty five car. You got your first win actually right here in Atlanta. You had some great runs, and it seems like you were coming into your own at the at Hendrick, and then you left Hendrick and you went to the Petties for a little bit. Uh, and then you went back to MB Racing, where that was at that point your third stint when you took over, I believe, in 2002. You were back with Ryan Pemberton as your crew chief. Talk about the relationship you had with him. It was three different occasions you guys teamed up with MB Motorsports and Ryan Pemberton. Yeah, good guy. I mean, yeah, obviously, like I said, I had a roller coaster career. Um, you know, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, I wish I, I could have done things a little differently, but, you know, I was young and I was ready to go. and. You know, Hendrick was a great deal. Um, love those guys, Rick, good guy. And, you know, me and Tony seemed like we really hit it on on the big tracks, on the mile and a half tracks, and we seemed like we were fast at where we went. But obviously, Lady Luck, um, you know, we led at, at, at the 600 in uh, Charlotte at Lowe's, and we had a chance to win that race, and we, lo- we lost because of an oil plug, a 30-cent oil plug. Um, then we went to Atlanta. We won that. And then the year after, or actually the year before that, we were leading it till I got the white flag and I came off turn two and we were out of gas. And we came across the line in third place. But, you know, that's kind of how my whole career went. You know, just had tough, tough bad luck. Finally, with Hendricks, you know, Tony Furry got let go the week before, then I got let go the week after, and... You know, all heck broke loose, right? I found a deal with uh, the Petties. Yeah. We went to uh, Sonoma. Uh, we almost won Sonoma. We had a 14-second lead with taps to go, and, and a rear end gear broke. And, you know, it's something that's not that common, but uh, it was a tough deal to swallow. And then we went to, in 2003, I got a ride with uh, the U.S. Army car mm-hmm. with Jay Fry and Ryan Pemberton. It was a new team, so we we struggled in the beginning. Uh, then we started picking it up. We finished fourth at Texas. We went to Lowe's to do the the test for the the, the shootout. We're the fastest there by by a tenth and a half over Jimmy Johnson. 
Then we went to Richmond, and we were fast in practice. And then in, uh, I think we qualified like 10th or 11th. Then in happy hour, I don't know what happened. Uh, all I know is we were the quickest in practice, but we came in, we changed the shock, and then the next minute, um, you know, I don't know what happened. I guess I, I lost it in turn, t- turn one and pancaked the right, the left side of the car, and, you know, I woke up, uh, I think it was 21 days later. That is crazy. On the line with us, former NASCAR Sprint Cup driver Jerry Nadeau, and you mentioned 2003. I remember it was a Friday afternoon. I mean, I was 16 years old, and not understanding the impact of G-forces, you see that hit, how it breaks, how the car breaks loose on you, and it hits the wall, and you think, I've seen worse hits like that, but then you realize... 121 G's was the hit. That was way more and an extreme amount than most common extreme accidents at Daytona and Talladega. And you, you, 21 days, you said you were you were in a coma. Talk about what you, and you said you don't remember the accident. What was the like, the last memory you remember? And then the following one in that 21. I remember. Gap. I remember getting up in the morning and having oatmeal. Um, and I remember very vague little pieces before I actually get in the car for practice and qualifying and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, that, that whole day is kind of wiped out. Obviously, mm-hmm. the good Lord does funny things to your head, and, and, and obviously my brain wasn't uh, working as well. And I woke up, you know, 21 days later, and, um, you know, I remember my my dad was kind of excited, and I think, like four weeks after he took a wheelchair and there was a, a guy um doing jackhammer, uh cutting you know, smashing up the road or something. Mm-hmm. And my dad's all happy, excited, we're talking and you know, doctors like frantic, they're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa don't put him out here, don't you know, so that's remember those pieces. I don't remember a lot of the pieces that went on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the big, it's like uh almost like you're in the, you're in a cloud of dust. You you remember some things, but most of the times you don't really remember anything. Um, you know, it, it was a tough road. You know, I I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Um, you know, every head injury is obviously it, like your head, your computer, your basic computer. And you know, when you're when you're all fully loaded and and you have no memory left. Um, your your brain is not not functionable, and you know I look the same. Um, I don't speak the same like I used to speak, but um, I do my best. And I think it's just it's like you're just a totally different person. I think once you're you're known as a person that had a brain injury, you're kind of marked for life. It's been uh, it's been a tough road. You talked about wanting to. To get back in the car at some point, I remember about two or three years after the accident, there was this feature on the Speed Channel about you maybe coming back in the car. Did you just decide during that process that that wasn't for you, you couldn't do it, or was just the desire not there anymore? You know, I I, I wouldn't say there, there's. I would not even question the desire. I, I don't think there's someone on the sort that has as much desire as I have as far as towards racing. Um, I mean, if someone called me today and said, hey, let's go play with my dirt car, or let's go do this, or let's go test at Atlanta, I would run. Um, 
And I think what's, what was tough is back then um, I had a chance to go do – I did a test with a cup car at Concord with our old team. It went well, but I didn't feel really comfortable. To mm. I felt like I'm not there yet. You know, I went down to Sebring, Florida to do some testing for BMW in a road race, and it went really, really well. And I was starting to fire back, and then I got a phone call that my dad had cancer. And that was the worst. That was worse than than my accident. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my when the doctor told me that my dad only had two months to live, it just like back down after my accident. You know, I mean, I did. The accident was a lot, but getting a little bit better, and then all of a sudden my dad passing away, and I was with him every day till he passed. It was hard. It took a lot out of me, and. Um, you know, I did get rejuvenated. Uh, a good story is I got rejuvenated about two months ago. I got invited to go to Japan to do some riding drives with uh, Toyota. And um, a good friend of mine, Ron Nelson, with Driving Connections, asked me to come along. And I was one of the drivers to give rides around Fuji Speedway. That's awesome. And that was probably, since my accident, that was the most joy Besides having my two kids, that was the most joy I ever had in my entire life, you know, besides being a racer. So that was a good part of my life. And obviously, that only comes once in a while. I mean, there's, you get one of those probably once or, you know, once a year. And, you know, if I, I told myself after I did that in Japan, I, if I can have a, if I can find a job doing that, driving cars and giving rides or doing hot laps or anything, um, I would run out for it. So that was a good part. More of our chat with former NASCAR Sprint Cup driver Jerry Nadeau coming up in just one moment. I'll ask him how is life going day to day, and does he think NASCAR should do more when it comes to concussions and traumatic head injuries? This is Full Throttle. Now more of 680 The Fans Full Throttle with Brandon Joseph. This is Full Throttle. I am Brandon Joseph, and we're continuing our conversation with former NASCAR Sprint Cup driver Jerry Nadeau. Everybody that I have talked to about talking to Jerry Nadeau, I actually was up in Dawsonville this past weekend, uh, talked to a lot of people, a lot of NASCAR fans, and I brought up the name, I'm talking to Jerry Nadeau, and they were like, he doesn't get enough credit for the talent that he had because of the time that he was racing in. And the fact that it was super team after super team after super team. And you, you hopped on at a team at, with Elliot that wasn't fun. And he had to sell his team two years after you left to Ray Everham. Then you went to the relatively underfunded Melling team. Do, do you feel that you didn't get a fair shake in a lot of the opportunities you got? That it took you so long to get to the big name in Hendrick Motorsports and... Maybe you weren't ready for that, but you never got that second chance at well, a major ride. I, I, I wouldn't say that. I would say that that was kind of like my 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 life. My every since everything go karts, we were very well underfunded. Um, even going road racing, racing out in Europe in the Formula Vauxhall. You know, I drove for ten teams in twelve races when I ran the Formula Opel series. Uh, Dan Partell, who ran that series, wanted to have an American driver, so he mm-hmm. called me and he said, "I tell you what, I will fund everything. Just get your butt over here." And uh, so I was able to get a, pick up a couple sponsors, and 
pay for my flights and went down to went to Europe and I raced at ten different ten or twelve different Formula One racetracks on you know with the Formula Opals and you know running with all these different teams. I think that was my life. That that was supposed to be what Jerry Nadeau was supposed to was supposed to do. I mean, um, I enjoyed it. I think it was pretty cool. It, it, it gave me exciting to go to the new team because I didn't know anybody, but, you know, I feel like I get along with anybody. And uh, that was kind of my career. I mean, I did that with, with, with Cup. I did that with SK Modified. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we, I remember running at, at uh, Thompson. You know, they had 30 cars there, and we, we ran uh, our own car. It wasn't the best. And we ended up, you know, we finished third. Uh, behind the Christopher brothers, and that to me, it's like, oh, it was just, it was fun. I, I enjoyed that, and I, yeah, I mean, I think maybe things would have been better, may have, may have been a little bit different, but you can't change that. That's that was kind of my life. That's how I I, I adapted and um, you know enjoyed it. I mean, it was cool to go to a new team. I mean, who would have known that the, the Petties. You, you know, nobody's really done that well in, in the 44 car. And here we are in Sonoma, you know, two laps to go, and we're leading the race with, you know, seven, eight-second lead. And and a little part, you know, took out of the race. So it, it didn't – I didn't really worry about it. I mean, that was kind of like, okay, that was, just, that was just another bite in the dust. I mean, I just went along with it, and I just kept spelling and hoping that uh, – things would get better. And obviously, you know, with my accident, it, it, it did a lot to me and, you know, I haven't been able to get back to my love, which is racing. And, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm carrying along and I enjoy my kids, my wife, and, you know, hoping that, uh, something around the corner will, uh, will pop up for me. You, you did something that is probably a little more nerve wracking in terms of being in a car you taught teenagers how to drive. Can you talk about that for a little bit? What was it like being a teacher of teenagers on the road with the brakes program? You, you got you got a chance to be in a car with 15, 16 year olds learning how to drive. Yeah, it's uh, I I don't know. I think maybe people who have TBI would understand more than anything. Uh, that's tough. I. It, you know, it it helps the most for me because it puts bread and butter on the table. Um, I'm able to make payments and, and pay some bills. Um, it's it's not the most intriguing thing for a person who's had a brain injury, yeah, especially with teenagers. But what a great school, Doug Herbert, my friend, my pal. Um, you know, bad situation what happened with him and his two kids. You know, they they left the house for um, not even a mile away from their house, and he lost both his boys in an accident. And he decided to start a, a school for teenagers uh, called Breaks. And Matt uh, Matt Riley runs a school. Good guy. And, um, you know, I do the schools whenever they're around. Um, we have a school this coming weekend at CMAX. So it, it's good. I enjoy it. Um, sometimes I have to hold, bite my tongue and, and and not get too excited. But overall, I think um, the kids are are obviously getting way better taught, uh, especially going to a school like that because we put them in a lot of bad situations. Yeah. You know, with the skid pad, with wheel drop off, with 
you know, trying to text and, and go, go through these cones. I mean, um, I wish they kind of had a school like that when I was growing up. And um, maybe the world wouldn't be as tough as, as it is now, but there's so much technology out these days that it definitely distracts, um, you know, new and upcoming drivers on, on the road. We're chatting with former NASCAR Sprint Cup driver Jerry Nadeau. David Gillen, you were a driver coach to him, quoted saying that the help that you gave him helped him win nationwide and helped propel his career. You worked with Jeffrey Earnhardt for a little bit. Does driver coaching interest you? It it does. I mean, I think for me at that time, um, you know, I just got I got more depressed because I didn't feel myself getting any better. So it's like I was changing a lot. I was like, oh God, is this going to be my life the rest of my life? You know, I mean, I was in my late thirties, early forties, and and I just got so down and depressed. And I told David, I think it was at Kentucky. I said, David, this is going to be my last deal. I can't. I can't do any more of this. I said, let me tell you something. If you want to make it to Cup, you got to make a huge impact. I said, I don't care if you ball the car up on fire. I said, make an impression. And he went out and won the race. And that was my last race working with David um, at Kentucky. So I don't, I don't know if I helped in any way. I don't. I, I feel like uh, me and David really just got along well. And you know, his background, the way he was raised. Uh, you know, by his dad, and and you know, he was a very ph- philosophical kind of driver. He worked really hard on on the chassis and, and making sure the cars would work well. And I was the opposite. I wouldn't care about the chassis. I would just drive the car to the limit. And um, you know, when it, when I gave him that pep talk and he won that race, it, it just it, it kind of gave me. It made me just swallow my breath and say, "Okay, I'm ready. I feel good." Um, you know, David's on this way to you know, cup, cup, and, and, uh, you know, then worked with a few other drivers with Jeffrey Earnhardt. And I think at Phoenix, I just kind of lost it, um, on everything, you know, I was working with, with Jeffrey and I didn't feel really good. And I just decided to get out of it. And I haven't been back since. I mean, I, I think I went to see one race at Lowe's. I sat in the stands with my wife and, and then we left, you know, probably a hundred laps into the race. And, you know, came home and watched the end of it. But yeah, it's been a tough road. Um, I like I like I said earlier, I wouldn't wish this on the worst my worst enemy. It's just if someone can operate and put it a new a new whatever in my brain, then you know maybe I'll 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 give it a shot one day. But you know, being forty six and having two kids and you know everything's changed a little bit in my life. What is day to day like for Jerry Nadeau now? Um, I don't know if that's a great question to ask. It's tough. Um, I, you know, I think a lot, I think that's my biggest problem is I think too much. Um, you know, I'm always looking, I'm trying to find an avenue. I'm trying to find a place. I'm trying to find where I belong in life. And, uh, you know, I, I, the only cool, really good thing for me is that I've got, I built a building, um, when I was racing cup in 2000 and that's kind of my bread and butter. Um, you know, I have it leased out and it's able to where I can survive every month. It scares me the most now is if something happens, you know, whether, 
you know, the the guy, I, I miss rent or something, or he misses rent, and then it's like, oh, God, what do I do now? So uh, it's tough. I mean, you know, you have to have money to 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 keep going in life, and obviously I made some bad decisions in life after my accident, and with all the hard stuff that went on, um, you know, I focused on other things that made me happy, and obviously I, you know, I spent a lot uh, stuff, foolishly um to to bring joy to my life but now it's it's starting to catch up and it's like you know i've I've got a i've got to find an avenue a place where i can keep going in life and uh you know the schools help out a lot mm-hmm. and you know if i can find a uh an avenue or a place where i can drive i, I love driving uh, i don't think driving can ever get get taken out of me. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, going to Japan was the most joy that I ever had in my life, you know, giving rides, you know, doing 180 miles an hour in a straightaway with somebody in my passenger seat. And I'm actually driving on the right-hand side of the car. So <laughs> it, it was definitely tough and unique, but it was, oh, so much joy. Um, you know, for me, it was it wasn't that hard because, you know, I, I can drive at 50% where other people are driving 80%. And, you know, I, I stayed in, in control for for four hours at, at a time. So that was a good joy. But everyday life is, is tough, for I think, for anybody. It is. And catching up with former NASCAR Sprint Cup driver Jerry Nadeau, we, we've come so far with treating head injuries, but not f- far enough. You see it in the NFL, and even Dale Warner Jr. a couple of years ago taking himself out of the car because he wasn't f- 100% had a concussion. Do you think that NASCAR has gone far f- further enough with treating head injuries and not just the actual injury itself, but the aftermath afterwards? Do you feel that you were taken care of enough by not just the teams, but NASCAR as a whole, do you think they should do something for the uh, future? It, it, yeah, I mean, if I wasn't in that position, um, I probably wouldn't worry about it. But being in that position now, it, but by God, I wish they, they would do something where even if it's just a portion of the prize money and you put it in something and invest it for something, if something ever happens to that driver, um it would be cool. Um, I mean, I'm still here. I'm alive. I'm well, but I'm not, it's not me. Like I, I don't feel like it's me. Um, I was never like this. I was gung ho wide open. You could, I couldn't sit still. Now I'm finding myself in the basement doing eye racing. Um, I'm spending so much time on that and I feel so bad, but it's like, that's the only thing that, that, that brings a little bit of joy in me to sit there and, and do races at, at Atlanta, at Lowe's, even doing road racing with Star Mazda. I mean, it, it's hard to say. Um, I, I don't, I, I think NASCAR has, it's, it's a great organization, but I don't think they understand as much with head injuries. Um, you know, I know Ernie Irvin, uh, had a situation where he he had to get out. And, you know, the only difference between me and Ernie is that, you know, Ernie did real well. Mm-hmm. He, he did awesome. I mean, he won a bunch of races. And, um, 
has a great wife, great kids, and, you know, he was able to put portions and invest and, and do things right, where, as for me, I only spent, you know, five years in COP. Um, I, I thought I, I was well when I got out, but then, you know, it doesn't last uh, forever. Uh, you know, the, the stuff that you you accumulated over the, the, f- the last five years in, in, in race winnings. So yeah, I mean, I'm in I'm in a tough situation, but it, it would have been cool to get a phone call or something, where I was okay, Jerry. Here's where you need to go. Here's what you need to do. You know, here's where you can you can survive and you can you can continue to to uh, you know just keep going. Um, that's been my hardest part. You know, it's the last 12 years. I've been kind of a stance. I've been at a standstill, and I just I haven't been able to find a place where I, where I belong. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's anybody's fault. It's just, that's just the way it is. That's just the way life is. I can't, uh, I can't change that. Jerry, thank you for going out there every day because it's not easy. Everybody has moments where they're not as high on themselves and the life that they're leading, but you're the prime example of fighting through and finding the little joys that keep you going day to day. Yeah, I thank you. I thank you a lot. I I appreciate uh you saying these things and obviously I appreciate everybody out there that's uh, that's listening. Um you know, just give it your best in whatever you do and I think uh with my situation I'm trying my best. Um you know, I'm here. Um I'm just trying to find a place in life and uh if I if I find it excellent, if I don't then then I'm okay. Um so I appreciate the call, and and hopefully uh, we'll run into each other or run into some fans that are listening down the road. Awesome. And Jerry Nadeau, you're always welcome on the podcast. You have a great, great story to tell, and you know racing, so the door's always open if you want to get into this whole media thing, which I really don't advise. Don't do media. (laughs) No, that's great. I appreciate it. I don't know if, if... if if my my speech will be the best, but uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. NASCAR Sprint Cup driver Jerry Nadeau, thank you so much for coming on. We'll be back. We'll close up shop. Full throttle, 6A of the fan. Now, more of 6A of the fan's full throttle with Brandon Joseph. Full throttle podcast closing up shop on this edition. The first edition, hopefully management will let us be back. Honestly, I don't think they have any clue what we're doing here. Brandon Joseph here, as I will be every week, giving you updates on the week that was in racing. You can find me on Twitter at BJosephRadio, the letter B, last name Joseph, J-O-S-C-P-H, and then radio, the common spelling for radio. Or you can email me, bjoseph at 680thefan.com if you want us to catch up with anybody, just like we caught up with Jerry Nadeau today. If you had a name from the past, so you got anything you want us to talk about, send it our way. We'll be sure to address it on the show once again. Thank you to Jerry Nadeau for joining us today. Nice to catch up with him. And I really agree with his belief that NASCAR needs to take care of the drivers just a little bit better. It seemed that this whole offseason and the end of last season was dominated with the race team alliance and now this charter system. And the owners got theirs with the RTA and this charter system. The owners are taken care of. But guess who's not taken care of? The drivers. The drivers don't have any piece of the action. The drivers are still just independent contractors. For so long, NASCAR has had their rule. It's our ball. You play by our rules. 
or you just go home. And here you have a guy who said in his own words that he wasn't the most successful driver, but he dedicated himself to the sport, and he almost lost his life doing it. Didn't hear from anybody from NASCAR after his 21 days in a coma. He's been basically excommunicated from the group, from the sport. Sport that he almost died trying to entertain. Take baseball, for example. There's far less risk in baseball of a traumatic, life-changing incident. Far less risk. But the players have a safety net. NASCAR drivers, racing drivers, they aren't afforded that. And that goes back to the days of Big Bill France and then continued on with his son. The drivers were just the instrument. People came for the car. People came for the race. The drivers were just names. Anybody can go fast in the car and be a household name. They came for the speed, the sound, the smell, the adrenaline rush. NASCAR had to progress in terms of car safety, and that's why the cars look like the way they do now. They, they're they just now getting back to the point where you can kind of look at a Ford and it be comparable, kind of look like a Chevy and see, okay, remember those ugly carved tomorrows that look nothing like the car on the street. Remember that? Remember when we were at that point? Because they had to adjust the safety. They had to go to that far end of the spectrum for safety. But the point I'm getting at is NASCAR had to change with the time. And it doesn't just end at car safety. It goes to the fan experience. Look at what you're seeing in Daytona now. That's not going to be an anomaly. You're going to see that everywhere from here on out. You used to be able to build a track in months. Just get some metal, build some bleachers, get some concrete to make the walls, get some asphalt to lay it down, and boom, go racing. That's a long way gone. Because now you have the comfort of your couch. In your 65-inch HD flat panel 4K television. And then an app on your phone that you can hear the radio communication. And see four different angles on your laptop. And then you can blast the laptop to the TV. And get that in commercial break. Sports are all across the board are having to adjust to that. The fan at-home experience versus the at-venue experience. Take it what you're seeing in Daytona. Daytona now is built like a carnival. Not in terms of the gathering, but in terms of a carnival as in there's games, there's attraction. It's carnival meets baseball ballpark, football stadium, with amenities and attractions to give you a reason to go there, to make it a true experience. The race is no longer the experience in itself. And that's what NASCAR needs to realize. The race isn't the experience in itself. 
and we're using NASCAR as the foil here, but the same thing applies to IndyCar, to the United Sports Car Series. Long gone are the days of just going to the track to go to the track. You can get me to do that once or twice in my life. Just go for the sake of going. Then you do it to take a family member. Then you do it to take your kids, your uncle. Maybe I take my family that has struggled to make ends meet, put away a little money, take our one trip to Daytona. It better be worth it. Or else I can stay at home July 4th weekend, buy some fireworks, light them off, and watch the race on my giant TV. Used to be able to build a track in months. If you build it, they will come no longer applies. You had to change. And NASCAR and other racing forms have changed in terms of driver safety and taking the steps to make sure we don't reach the point that Jerry Nadeau fractured skull, injured brain, life changed. They've made steps to hopefully we will never see that again. Hopefully we'll never see a fatality. But what happens when we get to that point? Kyle Busch broke both legs, a leg and a foot. Last year at Daytona in in the Xfinity race. What happens if he wasn't able to come back from that? What happens if that was slightly more catastrophic? What if he wasn't able to get back in the car? Months away from having his first child. What if his life was forced to change for forever? Just like Jerry Nadeau's was. See, that's the problem. Change doesn't always start at the top. Or else change would be commonplace and easy. That in itself transcends sports. It's a life lesson. There's always that one person that has to be the mule and take the punishment before change can happen. And that's when other people come on board. And the change for the drivers hasn't progressed. Paul Tracy one time said that he carried a million dollar life insurance policy that he had to pay for himself. Do you really think somebody like Cam Newton or Derek Jeter or even the last man on the roster Think of your favorite sports team, whether it be football. Think of that 53rd guy on the active roster, whether it's baseball. Think of the 25th man, basketball, that 15th man, hockey, the guy that sits on the end of the bench that you barely know. Do you think that person has to carry their own insurance policy? Because the guy starting 40th in the race, in the Xfinity race, 
has to carry his own insurance policy in case something happens to him. Drivers don't get that. But the worst guy on the worst team in the major professional sports gets that because they have a union. The union that looks out for the interests of the players. Now, this is not a debate over unionization, pros and cons, the political form. This Nothing has to do with that in this case in terms of what you hear of a union. But what is the race team alliance? It's a grouping of people that share common interests, that want to do better for themselves, that want to see their interests represented. Guess what that is by definition? The race team alliance is essentially a union. And what do unions in sports do? Collectively bargain a deal that protect their interests. It protects their interests. Who is protecting drivers' interests? Other than the independent contracting drivers themselves. And take a look at the RTA. Never the top dog. Going back to what I said before, it's never the top dog. It wasn't Hendrick Motorsports that formed the RTA. It wasn't even Roush Fenway. They were going to be all right regardless. It was Rob Kaufman and Michael Waltrip Racing. It was when Michael Waltrip Racing was trying to make ends meet. Didn't know if they were going to be around with one car, two cars, three cars, or no cars year to year. That middle-of-the-road team that had to fight. And they had to fight for change. Rob, Rob Kaufman, who was the financial backer of Michael Waltrip Racing, had to fight for change because the big dogs weren't going to be affected by this either way. Hendrick Motorsports barely has sponsor trip, sp- sponsorship troubles. Roush Fenway, even though they do have sponsorship troubles. Their car's not missing the race. When Greg Biffle was running that white and green Roush Fenway car, because they had no sponsor, or taking minimal money from Ford to put on the EcoBoost car, they were still going to show up week in, week out. They weren't going to be affected by change. And the little dog, Tommy Baldwin himself, couldn't afford change. His bark isn't big enough. Look at baseball for a second. Kurt Flood, who started MLB free agency when he challenged what was called the reserve clause that essentially was just a team's right to renew your contract year to year. He wasn't the best player in the league, let alone on his own team. He played for the Cardinals when they had Lou Brock and Joe Torre, both Hall of Famers. In 1969, he challenged that rule to the Supreme Court and lost. But at that point, he took the beating, the figurative beating. And all the players got around him. The best players, Pete Rose and Harmon Killebrew, the respective MVPs, said, you know what, this is a 
It doesn't affect me. I'm still going to make my money. I'm still going to be one of the best and be paid accordingly. But this is still the right thing to do. Because I was there at some point. This happened to me. And a lot of teams have a lot of different reasons on why they end up joining these causes. And a lot of teams have a reason why they don't join these causes. Just like the Wood Brothers left the RTA because they felt their interests weren't being represented well enough. And there will be many people, many people, who say, well, this is just the way it was. And that argument is beyond crap. Well, the Wood Brothers should have a charter because they've been here. And the way it is, the way it was, the Wood Brothers were the way it was. Pause. The way it was is crap. Well, the best one, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, it was broken. It's been broken for a long time. And the thing is, you didn't care enough to fix it. Let's get real for a second. J.D. McDuffie died in 1991 of the same injury Dale Earnhardt Sr. died from 10 years later. And change was not enacted because, one, people said it's part of racing. It is the way it is. The real reason was he raced for 28 years and never won. He wasn't big enough of a guy for people to look and say, well, we need change. So they fell back on, that's just the way racing is. Kenny Irwin in July of 2000 was winless. Adam Petty, May of 2000, winless just the way racing is. I can list off Blaine Alexander, Tony Roper, and even before those guys, John Nemechek. Just part of racing. It's unfortunate. Just the way it is. After Adam Petty and Kenny Irwin, at least the conversation started just a little bit. And it's a shame that fathers had to lose sons. Mothers had to lose sons. Brothers. They lost them. And change didn't happen until February 18th, 2001. Because you couldn't argue it is what it is. Just part of racing. Because the biggest name in racing passed away. And this has nothing to do with charter system race team alliances, or anything like that. It has to do with humans. If Jerry Nadeau was a 15-race, 20-race winner, finished second, third, or won a championship, this discussion would have been different. You heard the struggles of his day-to-day life. How tough it is. The only joy he has is his two daughters. He can't speak the way he once spoke. He doesn't find happiness in a lot of things. 
He doesn't feel like he's living anymore. All that because of the accident. And granted, the accident still could have happened if more change would have enacted. It's not the accident that is at question. It's the fact that there is no head safety awareness. There is no head safety research independent of Bill Simpson trying to look at new helmets. Chip Ganassi is involved in a in a program where they're testing new helmets. NASCAR isn't a big donor to what the NFL and even Major League Baseball has had to become part of to look at treating and taking care of their former participants with head injuries. Dale Jr. took himself out of the car. No one was going to force him out. He had a concussion. Everybody knew it. They do have doctors that check those things. But it was race if you want to, if you feel up to it. And Dale Jr. said that he would have continued racing if the team was in the middle of a championship. No one was going to take him out of the car. Not Brian France, not Steve O'Donnell, not Mike Helton, not Rick Hendrick, not even his crew chief. It was Dale Earnhardt Jr. that had to take himself out of the car because he didn't feel right. And we got a little pickup off of that, and that's cooled off. So just think about that for one second. Jerry Nadeau struggles day-to-day life. Hasn't heard, in his words, really from anybody since the accident. And said, that if NASCAR could just have a little bit of that extra money of that 250 plus million dollar a year TV contract throw a little bit of that to the side to take care of these drivers just in case something happens put it in the fund is that a bad thing? because it's not going to take that much food off of the Francis table. But you heard Jerry Nadeau. He's a landlord. And if his tenant misses a rent payment and he misses a mortgage payment, food's coming off of his table. So why not take a take a second Take a little bit of coin and look out for those guys who almost gave their lives for this sport.
I hate that we have to end the show on something so somber and so sad, but the interview with Jerry just struck a chord in my heart. And I thank him for sharing that story again. It's it's unfortunate and it's sad. And I hope that the interview adds a little perspective to you and that you just forget about these names and we can all look at the video of what happened. We can Google it. But you forget about the person that was involved. You forget about the end result. And hopefully change can happen at the top and it can start to trickle down. Because for every Jerry Nadeau, there are three or four guys at a local short track who aren't named going through something similar. And maybe if that change can happen at the top, it could be that trickle-down effect to where things are in place for your weekend warrior at your local short track, your Thursday night guy. So at least they know that at the end of the day, even though you inherit the risk, you know the risk that you're taking, you know if something happens, there are people that have your back, whether whether it's good, because there are a lot of people there when things go well, but not a lot of people when things go bad. So hopefully, that starts the conversation at least. And I promise we'll be talking about happier things moving forward. But once again, thank you to Jerry Nadeau. We'll be back every Wednesday. We will have this podcast posted. We'll go over racing. We'll talk about the week that was in racing. Daytona 500 this weekend. We'll recap that. Recap the Xfinity, the truck series. Look forward towards the upcoming IndyCar season. A lot of big news for IndyCar. And a very critical year for IndyCar in terms of what they're due to get back in the national eye. We'll talk about that moving forward in the next couple of weeks. Once again, thank you guys for joining us. This is the Full Throttle Podcast. I am Brandon Joseph. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.